Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with a professor, Sean Clayton. Welcome to Schooled with a Professor, and we're going to go down memory lane because a great book was put out here uh, by Matt Mayoko of NBC Sports Bay Area, and uh, it's really Letters to Dwight Clark and number 87. And I, I go back, uh, showing you how far I go back, I go back to being on the field at Candlestick when uh, wow. they made that, when the catch was there. And, of course, I was on the Dallas Cowboys sidelines, and I was watching and seeing what was going on. And you can see the Cowboys were kind of hooting and hollering as the drive started by Joe Montana. And then as the drive progressed, I mean, they got, you can see, hear the concern in their voice. And then here's the great catch by Dwight Clark that's known as the catch. And joining us here on Unschooled is uh, Matt Mayoka, and it's Letters to 87, Fams Remember the Legacy of Dwight Clark. And Matt, take us through what you did in this book. Yeah, you know, Dwight and I had had a really good relationship through the years, and you know, I was just a, a young man watching in my living room when the catch was made growing up in Northern California. Then later, when I became a, a sports writer and started covering the 49ers, I got to know Dwight. Uh, who was then the general manager of the team. And through the years, he, he had talked about, you know, hearing stories about the catch, what people were doing. And he was really, like, always very much amused and interested to hear other people's perspectives of of what the catch meant to them and, and what they were doing. And in, I guess it was January of 2018, when he was stricken with ALS and was, was you know, pretty much knew that he wasn't going to be around too much longer. He, he mentioned to me again, you know, he said, uh, you know, I've often thought if I could get the word out somehow, the stories that I should put a book together of the stories that the 49er fans lived through at that moment. And hopefully long after I'm gone, 49er fans will still enjoy that play and that year, that team that started it all. And as soon as he said that, I, I looked at him and I said, well, Dwight, Let's do it. I'm going to put the word out, and and we'll have people write letters uh, talking about the catch, what they were doing. And at that point, he was getting ready to move uh, to Whitefish, Montana. And I told him, you know, I will. I'll send those letters up to you. And and he thought that was a great idea. And letters started coming in, and the the letters were this great mixture of funny memories and very poignant emotional memories and, you know, how it impacted family. Um, You know, those are some really uh, emotional types of letters. And I got a phone call a month or so later, and uh, Kirk Reynolds, who was a a friend of Dwight's and was putting together lunches for him where people would would come in and, and visit him, he said, he told me, hey, Dwight wants you to, to bring those letters up. He'd love to see them. And I was, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And I asked at that point, I said, well, when are you guys going up there? And Kirk said, well, we're going to be going up in June, mid-June, or um, actually we're leaving in three days. We're going to go up. And I said, well, I'll go up in three days. I, I didn't want to put that off. And so I, I'm very glad I did because I went up there and there were uh, probably about a dozen uh, former 49er uh, people, either employees or players, including Keena Turner and Ronnie Lott. And we sat around 
and we read letters to Dwight Clark, and it was such an emotional experience. It was so great. He enjoyed it. He was having a, a really bad day when we got there, and we sat around in his bedroom. We, we read letters to him, and you could just see how how much it meant to him. And two weeks later, he passed away. And I didn't know that this book could happen, but we did a documentary on NBC Sports Bay Area called Letters to 87. And the reaction was so great that uh, so many people got behind this book project. And uh, we we did it. We, we, we finalized Dwight Clark's dream of having a book about what people were experiencing at the time of the catch. And it's called Letters to 87. And we also have essays in there from Eddie DeBartolo, from Ronnie Law, from Joe Montana, and from Kelly Clark, uh, Dwight's wife. So we're very proud of it. And it's a, uh, it's, it's just, you know, everybody who's, who's associated with, associated with it feels great that, that Dwight's dream becomes a reality. What type of things uh, came in the letters from like Eddie DeBartolo and Joe Montana and Ronnie Lott? Yeah, it, it, you know, for for Mr. DeBarlow, it was, you know, kind of the memories of, of Dwight and, and what he meant uh, to the organization and just kind of the, the fun person he was and really kind of brings home, you know, the, the personal aspect of it from from Joe Montana. He talked about just, you know, the relationship that that he had with with Dwight and how Dwight fit into the chemistry of the team. Dwight was, you know, basically everybody's best friend. And, you know, his guys on both sides of the ball um, looked up to him and, and had friendships with him equally. And, you know, early on, it's kind of funny when when Joe Montana and, and Dwight Clark came into the NFL together in 1979, they they hit it off immediately, uh, eating at a Denny's right by the 49ers practice facility. And Dwight looked over at, at Joe and said, "Are you a player? You know, are you with the 49ers?" And Joe said, "I sure am." And and Dwight said, "Oh, you must be the kicker." <laughs> and uh, and Joe said, "No, my name is Joe Montana." And Clemson uh, had lost to Notre Dame previously, and uh, and. Dwight Clark had not so fond memories of, of Joe Montana beating his team, so they, that's how they uh, that's how they met. And then with Ronnie, you know, you've been around Ronnie a lot. He's, you know, he always kind of takes a different approach, and, and he was able to cobble together some great quotes through the years from Joe Montana and Bill Walsh and and others, uh, Jerry Rice and. He, he found these quotes, kind of like life lesson quotes, and then talked about how Dwight fit into each of those each of those those messages. And so it's it's just really neat. And, and Kelly Clark was able to tie it all together of how Dwight was so selfless. The catch was never about him. He he was very humbled by that, and he had a very he had a great perspective of knowing the importance of the catch to a degree he would always when he was in public he would always ask people questions you know people who'd come up to him and say hey i was there that day or i remember i was you know sitting on my couch when this happened 
And every time somebody would talk to him about the catch, he would he would act as if it's the first time he'd ever heard the, these stories, and he would ask questions. And his wife said that that was his way of kind of opening himself up and letting these fans know that they were every bit as much a part of the catch, you know, in their living room or in the in section thirty six, jumping up and down, as he was in the end zone catching that ball. So she was able to to bring it together very nicely and kind of put into perspective how the fan experiences really, in, in many ways, formulated and and kind of um, accentuated the the gravity of the moment because. For, for a lot of these people, it wasn't just, you know, a football game. Um, you know, there are unbelievable stories in, in this book, you know, from, from one person, uh, the son of a person who was a POW, who was a 49ers fan, and missed the catch and, you know, didn't return to the United States in the Bay Area until later in the mid-'80s. And he and his son kind of caught up on all the 49ers history and all the sports history that they had, that he had missed. And, you know, it's those kinds of bonds that are between a father and his son uh, that kind of helped them, you know, that they're, they're a 49ers family because of it. So it's, I think Dwight was, he, I think he was kind of shocked at how much that play meant to so many different people and, and how it formed family traditions and helped, um, you know, a father and a son connect, um, how it built the relationship between, you know, a, a, a young lady and her grandfather. Um, it, it was just a really neat book and, and again, you know, some some of the stories are pretty funny, and, and others will just kind of uh, really tug at your heartstrings. Kind of put it in perspective for those that uh, you know weren't around when I was on the field watching the catch, and you were there in the Bay Area watching it on television. Uh, you know, put it in perspective as far as what it meant, you know, historically in the NFL. Well, at, at that point, you know, the 49ers hadn't won anything. They'd never won anything. They were they were among the laughing stocks in the NFL. And, you know, they they had had some good teams previously. Um, you know, they they brought they came into the NFL in 1950. You know, they had their share of Hall of Famers and they had some really good teams in the early 1970s, teams that were capable of going to the Super Bowl, capable of winning the Super Bowl. In three consecutive years, the Dallas Cowboys beat them in the playoffs, including one year where you know they they recovered an onside kick late in the game, and and Roger Staubach you know brought the Cowboys back for a for a crushing defeat uh, for the 49ers and their and their fans. So after that, the 49ers kind of fell off the face of the earth for for several years, and it wasn't until 1981 where they had this team that just kind of came out of nowhere. And, of course, they would be facing the Dallas Cowboys for the, for the NFC Championship. And at that point, you know, the San Francisco Giants had never won a World Series. Um, you know, the, the, the only 
Bay Area championships to that point were from the Oakland A's and, and the Golden State Warriors on the other side of the bay. So San Francisco was going through a time where there's a lot of tragedy in the city um, with with um, all kinds of things, including the AIDS epidemic. So the, the, the kind of an assassination of the mayor, um, the, the Jonestown tragedy, uh, the, the mass suicide there, um, which was from the, the People's Temple that was based out of San Francisco. So there was a, just a lot of negativity and, and tragedy. And, you know, the, the, the city was not in a good place at all. And not to to make too much of that because those are real life situations, but it just kind of all kind of fed into this this kind of defeatist attitude that you know nothing good can ever happen in San Francisco, and you know when that pass appeared to be sailing out of bounds, and for Dwight Clark to to reach into the heavens and, and pull that down, and then for the defense to hold, it was. It was, you know, indescribable euphoria. And then two weeks later, they win the Super Bowl, and a million people line Market Street to celebrate that. And the face, the faces of that championship were Dwight Clark and, and Joe Montana. And Joe was, you know, a little bit aloof and, and kind of mysterious in a way. And Dwight Clark was this unbelievably handsome, uh, charming Southern gentleman who was dating Miss Universe, Sean Weatherly. And he, you know, he was just, he was so accommodating. He was so, fans loved him and he loved the fans. And, you know, so many people that we heard from had great memories of meeting him in a restaurant or, or wherever. And he always, he always took the time to sign autographs and say hello and ask questions. So as one of the, the letter writers stated, you know, that the moment in itself, that play, that team was about as good as it gets. But uh, the letter writer, Marley Ortega from Petaluma said, what, what pushed it to perfection was the man who did it, Dwight Clark. And, and that kind of really summed up, I think, how the, the Bay Area felt about Dwight Clark and, and his legacy. Of course, it's letters to 87. How can anybody, and by the way, 100% of the book and the royalties donated to the Golden Heart Fund. So uh, how can everybody get letters to 87? Yeah, thank you, John, for, for mentioning that. And that was something that Dwight wanted. Anything that ever came out of these projects associated with the letters, he wanted it to go to, quote, unquote, his guy, you know, my guys. I wanted to go to my guys. And so the, the Golden Heart Fund uh, raises money. It's, it's a, a 49ers alumni-driven charity that helps former 49er players in times of financial, emotional, and physical need. So all the money from this book, no one's getting a penny. All of it is going to that fund. And you can get it anywhere, uh, you know, wherever you buy your books, on Amazon. You can go to letters to 87 Dot com. Find out more about the book, um, including links where where you can buy it. But but certainly Amazon is is a uh, a good place to to get it. Okay, we'd be remiss not to uh, talk about a little bit of the current 49ers uh, right now. From what you see, despite the injuries, how good of a football team is this? Well, I think they're they're set up pretty well. Where the the injuries, there are seven guys who who won't 
practice uh, this week or play in the final preseason game because because of injuries, of course. Pretty much all the starters won't play uh, as they get ready for September 8th and facing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But pretty much all those guys are either going to be ready at the start of the regular season or shortly there, thereafter. And that includes Nick Bosa, uh, Weston Richburg, Jarek McKinnon is a little bit iffy. Uh, Jalen Hurd, the rookie wide receiver, a, a little bit iffy as far as when he'll be able to, to get out there. Uh, Jason Verrett should be ready early in the season. So this is a team that, that at least initially haven't, they haven't sustained any really bad injuries. They're, one of their swing tackles, Sean Coleman, is out for the year. But I think that they feel pretty good about the health of the team at this point and, and how it's going to relate to the regular season. But I, I, I see a team that, that's far better than it was a year ago. And last year, it seemed like there was a lot more buzz around this team. Uh, they were kind of a trendy Super Bowl pick or certainly deep into the playoff pick. And I never really bought into that for one major reason. They didn't have an outside pass rush. And you just can't win without uh, without an outside pass rush. And they addressed that in the offseason. Uh, they, they drafted Nick Bosa, number two overall. They traded for D Ford. Both of those guys, neither one has played at all in the preseason. Uh, Bosa should be ready early on, and Ford should be ready week one. But what I saw from those guys in the practices before uh, they were sidelined, uh, very impressive, especially Bosa. I don't know that I've ever seen a rookie step in and just look the part and, and be so impressive in training camp from the first snap as him. So I think that uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is coming back from the ACL. He looked a lot better in the third preseason game than he did in the second. Um, I think there's more offensive weapons around him with Tevin Coleman, with Matt Breida at running back. They don't have a, a number one wide receiver. They have a bunch of guys who they can kind of mix and match. But their number one receiver, period, is tied in George Kittle. And defensively, this is a team that should be able to create more chaos and confusion with the pass rush. I mentioned Bosa and Ford. And then on the inside, DeForest Buckner is probably their best player, period. So uh, I think that they have pretty good depth, certainly more than they had a year ago to withstand some injuries, maybe not as many injuries as they had a year ago. I don't know if any team could, could withstand that. But I, I, I like this team. I think they're I think they have a chance to to be there in the in the playoff picture for all the season. And then finally, uh, just kind of sum up uh, the struggles of uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and where is he? Yeah, I, my thought was that you know here he's coming off the ACL, sustained in week three of last season, uh, took part in the offseason program, just the seven on seven on seven stuff. They didn't want him exposed to any eleven on eleven where he'd have to make sudden kind of unscheduled movements uh, with that left knee. And then he he hasn't missed a practice at all he's, once training camp started. He didn't play in the first preseason game. The, the first game that he played in was week two at Denver, and he looked, he looked horrible, and a lot of that I think had to do with the pass rush. But to me also, you got to clear that mental barrier, and it looked to me like he was thinking about the knee, and uh, he needed to get out there and kind of 
put that aside. And I thought he just looked very tentative. And I think it's it's realistic for for anyone to think that um, you're going to have those struggles. Any player, to, regardless of the injury, if it's a serious injury, there's a mental hurdle that has to be cleared. And it looked to me like in the, that second preseason game for him, which was uh, in Kansas City, it looked to me like he cleared that hurdle. He looked far better, far more comfortable. So he was throwing it around pretty well. And, you know, there was certainly some reason for panic after that first game. He only played a, a few series, but he did not look good. One for six for zero yards. Uh, he looked significantly better in the game three where he played a half against Kansas City. So right now, uh, you know, the 49ers certainly aren't regretting the decision to make him their franchise guy and pay him the big money. And the fact of the matter, however, is that you, me, nobody really knows what he's all about because in five NFL seasons leading into this year, he only has 10 NFL starts. So until everybody sees him for a full year, I don't think anybody knows for sure what Jimmy Garoppolo is all about. So, uh, if he can stay healthy, we'll, we'll have a really good idea at the end of this season whether he can be that franchise guy the 49ers hope he can be or whether there's there's more there. Now, Matt Miyoka, thanks for joining us here on Schooled with the Professor. And don't forget, Letters to 87, go get it. It's very, it's a very good one, a lot of emotion in that. And again, thanks again, Matt. And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with the Professor.